before we start. Um, one, just that uh, if anyone would like books, I have some available, as always. And I wanted to do a special acknowledgement before we begin uh, of our dear Linda Atkins. Are you still here, Linda? Hiding anywhere? Gone already? Okay, well, we'll, do, we'll acknowledge her anyway in absentia. Uh, she has uh, been our uh, self-designated greeter for about five years or more now. Is that about right? And uh, she has brought so much um, joy to this Sangha just by her great welcoming, her capacity to remember names, and how wonderful it is to hear your name fed back to you when you walk through the door, if, of course, if you've come repeatedly. And uh, she has just joined a new chaplaincy program and will be not be able to be here to do that as often. She will when she can, but she will be, as she describes, uh, going to sleep at 7.30 on Tuesday <laughs> nights to prepare for her uh, class, I guess, the next day. So I just wanted to acknowledge and appreciate her for all that she's offered here. And, and it is, to me, an expression of awakening, that spirit of generosity. It's considered a pillar of the Dharma to practice generosity. One of the three pillars, dana, sila, which is the, which is the expression of, of liberation uh, called non-harming, where you just naturally uh, no longer cause harm with your thoughts, your words, or your actions. So dana, generosity, sila, non-harming, and bhavana is the third pillar, which is the training of our attention to live in the, in the real time. And so I think that's what I would like to talk a little bit about tonight, um, about real time, as usual. But I just wanted to first acknowledge that Linda is that expression of awakening, uh, that in some way is the fruition of living in real time, coming out of the tangle of, of self-preoccupation, of self-absorption, of, of just being lost in our, our own internal drama, which we've all fallen into innocently, but nevertheless, uh, it, is, um, it obscures, this tendency of mine obscures the the freedom and all the expressions of freedom that come from, from being awake. So on one hand, I have to put on my glasses for this because I'd like to look at you. And they're very foggy, but who cares? On one hand, we can say, we can know intellectually that there are a lot of paradoxes involved in the awakening of um, our consciousness, this capacity to be enlightened and with all its beautiful expressions. Love, compassion, patience, joy, equanimity, just so many qualities that flow in our consciousness when we're awake. And there are there is a, you could think of practice as a means of realizing that. As you could think of it, again, intellectually, as a means to an end. 
But if we really look at enlightenment real time, as Dogen, Zen master, Zen, Zen master Dogen said, meditation is not a means to enlightenment, it is enlightenment itself. That it is the expression itself of enlightenment. And this is something that we don't think about. It's something that we experience. It's, it's self-evident when we let our attention just rest right where we are. That this, what we call meditation, is in our direct experience, enlightenment itself. It's a reminder of what is always already here. And we taste that when we're aware. So in a very immediate sense, it is, meditation is not a means to an end, because there's nowhere where we travel. It is enlightenment itself, as Dogen Zenji says. And yet, only those who treat meditation as a means to an end tend to realize that. Only those who thought about it and said, I'm going to meditate in order to be enlightened. tend to realize it, tend to sit in the middle of life, sit down and touch enlightenment, light up, wake up, right where life touches us, realize that there is no path to enlightenment, that the path literally surrounds you, you are immersed in it every instant. But our mind, our ego mind, wants to turn it into a, a means to an end, wants to keep it as a means to an end, to reinforce that, that I'm somebody who has come from the past, going through the present, on my way to the future when I'll get enlightened. And so the idea of practice as a means to an end of getting somewhere keeps the sense of me and mine, of ego, of a self, separate self intact. And so our mind is very clever about keeping the path going. About thinking of enlightenment in time. Instead of realizing what Zen Master Zenji says, enlightenment is not or meditation is not a means to enlightenment, it is enlightenment itself. Because when we do suspend that sense of being somebody going somewhere and simply meditate, which means wake up to where we are for one moment, If we're not giving rise to that idea that I'm somebody who's going to someday get enlightened, if we just suspend that for a moment, 
And we just stay in this. We cease to, and again, don't believe me, I want you to feel this. We cease to find any evidence for our unenlightenment. Our unenlightenment depends on our thoughts. Our thoughts of being somebody who's unenlightened. So it turns out that the only way to cut through that pattern of memory that makes that idea that I'm going somewhere real, is this making sense? The only way to cut through that is to meditate, which means to wake up right where you are, but not in order to get somewhere, but in order to saturate to marinate in enlightenment. Enlightenment meaning the light of attention being recognized as unconditioned, uncaused, always already, free, open, deathless. But how can we recognize that if we're busy waiting for enlightenment at some other time and practicing to get there. We're actually reinforcing the view, the self-view that I'm not enlightened. We're reinforcing the idea that I cannot find, that, I, that I'm not free now. So Alan Watts spoke about this so beautifully in such an accessible way. And you can see this on so many different levels. He says, when we make music, we don't, we don't make music in order to reach the end of the composition. And when we dance, we don't dance in order to arrive at a particular place on the floor, as in taking a journey. When we dance, the dance itself is the point. When we make music, making music itself is the point. And the same is true in our meditation practice. The point of meditation is always arrived at in the immediate moment. Can you resist the impulse to associate your meditation with what's next? And just let yourself be immersed in enlightenment itself. Here enough. And not for one more moment in your life postpone this. Postpone freedom. So to me, the self-evident nature of, of enlightenment, the immediate nature of enlightenment, still inspires me to practice. But not to get somewhere. Because why not? Why practice? Because it's the only thing to keep me, one of the only things to keep me from, from living in my imagination. From keep me from postponing being happy. From keep keep me from telling myself over and over that I can't be completely happy now and free. 
And if I let my if I let my ego mind be the master of this this trip we're all on, I will be I will be endlessly wandering. That's the definition of samsara. I'll be endlessly, as I like to put it, endlessly waiting for the future that never arrives. Because as we realize when we are awake, this time is always now. Future doesn't exist. And the past doesn't exist. That there is only this effulgent present. Only this, as Alan Watts again calls it, this eternal now. And that's one of the things we realize when we stop going, is that there's only now. That's why he says that the, the meditation is not something you should do because it's good for you. Which is another way of saying it's good for me and then it will make me better. He says it's, that turns into self-punishment like a grim duty. He says, instead, you should meditate for the enjoyment of it. And if you really let yourself sink into enlightenment, another way of saying aware presence, you'll enjoy your life a lot more. Because it's hard to find anything other than joy and peace and fullness and sufficiency in real time. So almost everything that we suffer from is of the past, of the imagination, of the imagined future. So many of our worries. Part of what inspired me to talk about this, and I had forgotten that I even said it or put it in the book, we, at Spirit Rock, I was at Spirit Rock all day at a meeting, and the wonderful person, Catherine Arnold, who's our, our communications director at uh, Spirit Rock, she, is, she has reformatted the website and done a really beautiful, I don't know if any of you have been on there lately, but it's, it's really beautiful. And it's so accessible. And, and instead of just, um, instead of just uh, being a place where people sign up for things and look at the calendar, she had this idea that she would give something. And so on every page there's a little wisdom quote or something. And Surprisingly, one of the things that I said showed up on there. And that um, it was so simple, but it, it struck me. I thought, that's pretty wise. <laughs> I was a little surprised. And all it said was, all I said in that little quote was, we never really leave the present moment. We're, we're never anywhere other than the present moment. We only imagine that we're somewhere else. That there, our whole life is is here. And when we wake up to being here, it's pretty 
You know, that means regardless of our situation in our life, when we wake up to the simple reality of our of this kind of intrinsic wakefulness, even for an instant, there's something self-evidently liberating about it. It's a moment that is that we can verify for ourselves that that moment of being present is a moment free of grasping, of contentiousness, of resistance, of delusion, delusion of self, of delusion of, of lack of clarity. We're clear when we're here. And it's a, it's a, it's a moment of, it's the highest, it's the pinnacle. There, and I often say there's just no higher mountain to climb than waking up to where you are. That's why, you know, when you get lost in thought in the, I say this a lot, and I don't know if it gets through, but I always say, boy, that moment when you, you, you're meditating, you're just grooving on the, the elemental experience of breathing in, breathing out, your body is calling you here, your, the sounds are calling you here, your moods are calling you here, the thoughts are calling you here. But then from time to time, thoughts arise, and that sense of mindful awareness does not rise up to notice that. And the thoughts start connecting, and then we drift into fantasy, and we start living in virtual reality. Doesn't that happen? But then there's that moment that we wake up, where awareness shines through. There's just knowing that we're now awake. But what do we normally do at that moment? We don't even, we don't usually, because we're not in the habit of, we don't realize that we're free. We're no longer being, we're no longer just being carried along by the, the reactivity of our mind, old habits, old ideas. We're free. This is a moment to celebrate. But instead we could, oh, I got lost in thought. Bad meditator. And immediately we take birth as the bad meditator. And then once I've taken birth as the bad meditator, then I have to work harder to become the good meditator. And that builds tension. More tension, more tension. And then, at best, I try harder. And then meditation becomes, at its best, a way to tire my mind out. So that I finally relax again. One of my teachers said the purpose of meditation is to tire the mind. I'm, I feel much, I'm much more, I, I'm much more of a Dogen person that meditation is not a means to enlightenment, it's enlightenment itself. Can it be enough to be present for this moment? And then this one. Doesn't that, isn't that enough to inspire you to stay here? And to practice with your, as though your hair is on fire. 
Because there's no other place to be that will not just lead you into, a, uh, into the samsaric loop of suffering. Will lead you into depending on the warriors winning for your well-being. <laughs> Actually, being so dependent on the warriors winning just inspired me to practice more because I realized I was just... <laughs> It was so incredibly intoxicated and fun and nerve-wracking. I bit all my fingernails. <laughs> so that's why I, um, I have to remind myself why Tuesday night's a great reminder that meditation is both the ends and the means to be able to accommodate this uh, world of of changing conditions. I think the, the Buddha, why he could, he could say with such conviction that if we truly want to be enlightened, where should we put our attention? We should put our attention on our bodies. He doesn't say put your attention on enlightenment, on the idea of it in time. He says, there's one thing, O oh monks, if developed and cultivated, leads to a sense of urgency, to great benefit, to great security from bondage, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to the attainment of vision and knowledge, to a pleasant dwelling in this very life, to the realization of the fruit of knowledge and liberation, what is the one thing? It is mindfulness directed to the body. Why? Well, I could say in the general sense, the body is here. The body is in some way, even though it's in a constant state of transformation, it's always here and now. It's in some way outside of time, and you are outside of time. It is only your thoughts that construct the past, the present, and the future. But your body is always here. That's just the general philosophical and experiential understanding. But the more gradual version of this realization is what he says next. He says, if it's developed and cultivated, the body is calmed. You know, if you keep your mind in the same location as your body, you're going to calm down. You're going to fall in love with real time. 
That's evidence enough that you should practice, not to get somewhere, but to stay immersed in where you are. Enlightenment or meditation is not a means to enlightenment. It is enlightenment itself. It says the body is calm, the mind is calm. Discursive thoughts are quieted. And all the wholesome states that partake of supreme knowledge reach the fullness of development. What is that one thing? It is mindfulness directed to the body. So by not going anywhere, by not trying to reach the end of the, of the dance floor, or the end of the composition by dancing and playing the music right where we are. Everything is given. So meditation is not going, it's staying. So many of you have heard me tell this story of the, the Indian master Punjaji who, who toward the end of his life, became um, just this magnet for, uh, for Westerners from all over the globe, from every corner of the globe, who wanted to just hear his teachings and be around him. And one of my colleagues, James Barras, a few months after I went to see him, went back to see him and, and took his video camera with him. And he started, he turned on the camera, oh, look at him, like a, in the 1800s. <laughs> he, he turned on the camera and just let, um, you know, just recorded all of Punjaji's uh, wonderful utterings and expressions of awakening. And finally, toward the end of his stay, he says, please, say something back Back, say something to all those people back in the U.S. who want to hear some of your teachings. And he looked very directly into the camera, like I'm looking into Carrie's camera right now. And he said, stay where you are. This isn't just a nice little trigger to wake you up in your work day. This is a profound reminder that meditation is not a means to enlightenment. It is enlightenment itself. It's a profound reminder that there's nothing else to do with this life. Why? Because when we are awake, we're more generous, we're more kind, we're, more, we're, we're less harmful, we're more patient, we are more whole, and we're not expecting someone else to, to make us whole. We recognize, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, that you, me, as he puts it, you, who are the richest person on earth, who've been going around begging for a living, 
Stop being that destitute child. Come home. Reclaim your heritage. And then he continues by saying, and then give it away. Be passionate about that. That fullness, that wholeness, that the riches that you are. It is the most unselfish thing that you can do is being awake. Your family will love you more. Your co-workers. Everybody. You'll sleep better. You learn to hang out in real time. Is there any moment that can improve on this? Our mind will say, oh, I'll be a lot happier when this is over. <laughs> but it's that very thought, I'll be happier when it's over, that puts our mind into suspended peace. Puts our mind into the trance of going of seeking, of moving into time. And noticing that thought, in other words, waking up to where I already am, that thought becomes the means, that thought becomes enlightenment itself. Because then I know, as the one teacher put it, nothing can make me happier than I am. That all search for happiness elsewhere is misery. And it leads to more misery. And the only happiness worth that name is the happiness of being awake. Conscious being. So this is just an invitation to see that everything you need, you already have. And basically to spend the rest of your life not, not straying away from yourself. Stay where you are. Realize your heritage. Have fun. Have fun. Watch the warriors. <laughs> Celebrate, dance, sing. Anything that just Remind you that you've already arrived at the superior place. Anything that wakes you up out of the trance that tomorrow is the secret to my happiness. There is no tomorrow. There never will be. Because time is always eternally now. And I guess the reason I said have fun is I... I just looked down and saw the wonderful passage from, the, from Nadine Stair, the 85-year-old guru who wrote the poem, If I Had My Life to Live Over. If I had my life to live over, I'd make more mistakes next time. I would limber up. I would be sillier than I've been this trip. I would take fewer things seriously. I would take more chances, I would climb more mountains and swim more rivers, I would eat more ice cream and less beans. <laughs> I would perhaps have more actual trouble, but I'd have fewer imaginary ones. You see, I'm one of those people who live sensibly and sanely, hour after hour, day after day. Oh, I've had my moments. 
if I had it to do over again, I'd have many more of them. In fact, I'd have nothing else. Just moments, one after another, instead of living so many years ahead of each day. See, I've been one of those persons who never goes anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water bottle, a raincoat, and a parachute. If I had to do over again, I would travel lighter than I have. If I had my life to live over, I would start barefoot earlier in the spring and stay that way later in the fall. I would go to more dances. I would ride more merry-go-rounds. I would pick more daisies. So the purpose of meditation is always arrived at the present, present moment. And just to add, find, just to finish off Alan Watts's words, he says the point is to dig the present, to groove with the eternal now, and to know that where it's at, the place where it's at, is simply here and now. So let's just. Here, hear it and know it for a few moments. And again, you don't need to get into a special position to do that. <laughs> Just be as you are and don't stray away from yourself. And if you do stray away from yourself, you won't know it until you wake up again. And then celebrate. Don't look back, and don't look ahead. Be as you are, just this moment. May all beings know that meditation is enlightenment itself. May all beings know the peace and happiness that is our natural state. May all beings grow in serenity and equanimity. May all beings be at home in their bodies. May all beings regard themselves with great kindness. May all beings be liberated. And may our practice be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings.
Anyway, thank you for your enlightenment tonight. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your presence. Oh, and please uh, help with putting the chairs back along the side walls in piles of how many? Piles of four. Piles of four. Thank you so much. Hope to see you next week.